Well, good morning. How's everybody doing? I'm doing all right. Even if you're not doing all right, you're in a good place, so it's all good. It's, all, it's okay to be not okay, right? Um, but uh, hey, my name is Matthew Cogswell. I'm the uh, next generation pastor here at Hope Fellowship Church, which means I have the privilege of uh, being able to oversee our middle school and high school students. And um, I'm filling in for Pastor Mark as he is uh, spending time with family today. And, um, and so I'm just thankful for the opportunity to be here and be able to, to preach God's word and Real quick shout out uh, before we um, go into today's message uh, for all of the middle school uh, students and parents. I want to remind you next week, next Sunday, we are going to have um, our preview of our Sunday middle school Sunday service. It's going to be um, to, uh, next next week. Also, it's going to be December fifteenth. It's going to be our second preview day, and then it's going to officially kick off January twelfth. and uh, And it's just going to be a, uni- a you know an experience unique for all our middle school students. Um, it's a need that we saw that we wanted to meet, and so I'm, I'm pumped to be able to provide that opportunity. Just another step to help our our middle school, high school students to become and belong and to uh, and to be discipled. So, uh, be on the lookout for. That um, well, we're we're in our series, man. That you believe, that you believe, um, and it's a gospel. It's in Gospel of John. And last week, Pastor Mark did a phenomenal job of wrapping up Chapter Four, um, which contrasted the responses that Jesus got from his hometown crowd that he grew up with, um, who became familiar with Jesus and um, were kind of caught up with his miracles, and but yet failed to see who he was. And it was contrasted with also this Gentile um, official uh, who was in desperate need. His son was sick, about to die, and he was coming to Jesus to because he knew that this man had power, that there was something different about him. And so it brought up a really relevant question. Can we get too familiar with Jesus that we can, um, and what he can do for us, that we miss him, Right? That we miss him, and it was just so challenging. And, and chapter five, I didn't do this, but Gospel of John, John continues in this, where it's the same theme, it's the same um, kind of similar heart to it, and where we continue to get this picture of a Jesus who's largely misunderstood by the crowds and his disciples as well, right? And someone, it's also written by someone, John. The Apostle John, who, who knew Jesus more, than, you know, closer than many of the disciples ever knew him. And so you can hear his words through this series, how he desperately wants his recipients, the readers, those who hear his word, to believe. And not just to believe that there is a God, but to believe in the God, the one true God, the unique son, and to find life in him. And so up until now, the responses to Jesus have been uh, a mixed reactions, um, different emotions and all that. We had the Nicodemus coming to Jesus in the, you know, in the middle of the night. We had the woman at the well that, um, man, she was, her, her life was just getting flipped upside down. She was living in sin and, and Jesus comes and meets her and she comes to know him. And, 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 and there hasn't been any um, aggressive responses. That is until John chapter 5. Here we, we're going to see another healing, but instead of it leading to a family placing their trust in Jesus, it leads to some major conflict from a group of unlikely people who are bent on murdering Jesus, murdering him. So I've entitled today's message, Walking by the Rules, but Lame to the Point. 
So if you got your Bibles, go ahead and turn to them. John chapter 5, we're going to pick up in verse 1. And uh, as you guys are turning there, I just want to share briefly just been, what I've been asking God to kind of prepare my heart and to kind of get to know his, man, his intentions behind this passage. And and he uh, he definitely was speaking to me um, and, and dealing with me in a very um, specific situation and or stage of my life. And how many of you guys know that, that God speaks to us, not just on the Sunday morning, but when we have a relationship with him, it's every day is, 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 is game on, right? <laughs> that there's teaching lessons in every moment. So uh, for those of you who don't know me, uh, I have a little daughter. My wife and I have a little daughter uh, named Isabella. She's three years old. Precious as can be, you may have seen her fro just like bouncing around and she's running around and she's just got a ton of energy. I love her and I use, man, God speaks to me so much through this stage of my life of just, um, as a dad and, uh, you know, knowing my, my little girl and, and, uh, and, and, but so she's in a particular stage of life that, um, when people ask, you know, what's, you know, how old is she? I say, she's a three-nager. I say, she's a three-nager. They said, yeah, three-nager. And, the, and those who are laughing right now are the parents who know exactly what I'm talking about when, when it comes to this three-nager stage because she's in this stage where she's constantly asking why. Why, Daddy? Why, Mommy? Why? You give an answer, and so, no, that's not good enough. Why? <laughs> why? 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 And so it's a, I know it's an important stage of life. I know she's just trying to understand things. She's trying to understand what's going on, the purpose behind um, life and her three years of, of, of living. And so I never want to stifle her curiosity. I, I want her always to be asking questions why. And I, I want to be, um, you know, be able to be there and, and to be patient. But the, the reality is it's, it can be challenging, right? I mean, challenging on a couple of different reasons. One, because being asked the question why after why after why after why can get a little bit annoying, right? Just being real, right? You, you all know those people that just can why, why, you know? And, and so, uh, two, it's the major challenge that I, I wrestle with and one that I feel like I was using to really speak to me for this passage. And it's this, that sometimes... I don't have a good reason as to why. Sometimes I don't, I, I don't know actually the intent of why, the purpose of why I asked her to, to do something. It's just because I told her to do it, right? How many of you guys have been there before? You, you kind of go through the motions. You, you may be uh, you're on your job. You're, you're a, I don't know, you're a manager, and you're asking somebody to do something, and then back in your mind, you're like, well, why do we even do it this way, right? Why, what's, what's even... The point. Now, I found that I can either respond back with the typical because I said so, right? Um, or I can take a step back and ask myself, what was the intent or point behind what I asked her to do? And I'd like to say that I, I like to take the step back and take the patient, you know, gentle, loving approach. But the reality is I struggle with that. I go in and out of, you know, uh, because I said so, and well, here's the, here's the reason behind what I'm asking you to do. Because maybe the intent is, is to clearly protect her or to guide her in some ways, and I want to continue with that. Or maybe the reasons behind it don't, don't really have any solid grounding. And it was that moment that I felt like God was speaking to me, preparing my heart for this message. And he says, knowing the purpose behind the rules 
matters. Knowing the purpose behind the rules, knowing the intent behind it matters. We start off with this passage where Jesus is performing another miraculous healing and how he uses this to challenge the intent behind the status quo at that time. And so we pick up in verse 1. It says, sometime later, Jesus went up to Jerusalem for one of the Jewish festivals. Now there is in Jerusalem near the Sheep Gate a pool, which in Aramaic is called Bethesda, and which is surrounded by five covered colonnades. Here a great number of disabled people used to lie, the blind, the lame, the paralyzed. One who was there had been an invalid for 38 years. When Jesus saw him lying there and learned that he had been in this condition for a long time, he asked him, do you want to get well? Sir, the invalid replied, I have no one to help me into the pool when the water is stirred. When I'm trying to get in, someone else goes on ahead of me. And then Jesus said to him, get up, pick up your mat and walk. And at once the man was cured. He picked up his mat and walked. Let me pray real quick before we jump in our first point. Let's bow our heads. Father, um, we come before you in the name of Jesus and we ask that uh, your blessing to be upon this time here, Lord. All distractions, all the things that we have come into this room with, Father, I pray that by your grace and by your mercy that you would begin to um, just kind of push those things away or that we would be present, God, that we'd be present to hear your word and we'd be present to meet with you. In Jesus' name, amen. First point, no matter how long we've been paralyzed in hopelessness, his mercies can lift us out. His mercies can lift us up. See, Jesus is he's going to Jerusalem, and he's um, going for a feast, it says. Um, now, this is a big deal for the, the, the people at the time, the Jews at the time, because um, three feasts of the year, there's, there is all Jewish males were required to go into Jerusalem to celebrate. And so Jerusalem was packed out, tons of people. Uh, I want you to just kind of picture it this way. You're in downtown Clemson, and it's a home game. Tigers, they're ready to go. And guess how thick it is in there, right? There's a ton of people just crowding around. And where are they going? Hey, thank you. Are you guys are alive here. Are we awake? We're going to they go to the stadium. That's the epicenter. That's the place where things is, is popping. That's where we're going. Well, here in this passage, the epicenter is the temple, and everybody is going that way, right? The head in there. The purpose is why? Because they're they're celebrating. There's this this um, all of life was centered around the temple. There's a sacrificial system that was going on. All the religious pomp was was in play. Everybody was on their game. And here Jesus is coming into Jerusalem um, to through to a feast that they didn't specifically um, uh, to name because that wasn't the point. But what we see here, John, he he starts to point out. That where he enters is, is, is the sheep gate. And not only that, but he points out that there is near the gate was a pool, which in Aramaic was called Bethesda. Now, we'll get to the meaning of Bethesda a little bit later on, but this pool was described as being surrounded by um, large pillars, that there's a whole bunch of people in this place that, that were sick, that were um, blind, that were deaf, that were paralyzed. They were, um, they were just... It's a really depressing-looking situation. And the local to the tradition um, that was being um, told at this point was that every once in a while, there would be an angel who would come into the waters and begin to stir up the waters. 
And when that water was stirred up, that whoever got into that water first was healed. Now, just think about that. That seems kind of right, weird, right? The people are paralyzed. How are they supposed to be getting up into the pool? And once they get in the pool, what's going to happen, right? You know, they're just going to be healed and they start swimming or something. But, like, but, the, but, the, but there's this tradition, regard, and, and there's scholars and the historians, they, they can't come to a conclusion whether or not this was actually someone, an angel coming to stir things up or whether or not it was tradition or if it was some sort of um, superstition that was going on. Either way, man, it must have been a really sad situation, right? Because we gather in verse 5, where we, Jesus encounters this, this invalid who's been there for 38 years. Could you imagine? 38 years, over three decades, he's been in one spot, just sitting. Just, just, just sitting, just, just there, constantly in the same spot, just, just like, now some of you can relate to um, this man, maybe you physically you've dealt with some physical um, ailments or whatever that's kept you from being able to move about freely, um, and, but, but for me, I, I can't really relate to this guy, I mean, I, I grew up playing sports and being active and just whenever I want, I could just go and, 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 and so I am thank God for, for that, but here's the thing, all of us can relate to feeling stuck once in a while, right? All of us can relate to being in a situation that seems hopeless, right? Where it seems like there's no change in sight, whether it's our careers, our, 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 our relationships, or addictions in our lives, or our spiritual life. We just, sometimes we, we, we just can feel stuck, and for whatever reason, that just turns into the way of life for us, Right? And for this man, it, it turned into the way of life for him. Then Jesus poses him an, an odd question, I think, kind of uh, stirs things up. He says in verse 6, Now when Jesus saw him lying there and learned that he had been in the condition for a long time, he asked him, Do you want to get well? Really? Do you ask that question, Jesus? Does that seem like a captain obvious? Like, yeah. Yeah, he, does, he wants to get well. He's, he's been there for 38 years. <laughs> and, 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 but here's the thing. The truth is, there are times when we can get so caught up in our way of life that we can forget the very purpose and intent of why we're there, can't we? Right? Right? Am I, speak, am I speaking to some people here? Are we here? Are we here? Are we present? Okay. Because here, this, this invalid, he was waiting so long for the waters to be stirred, waiting, believing in this tradition that this, this, this is what's going to happen. This is where the healing is going to come, baby. I'm ready for it. I'm ready for it. But, but the reality is over maybe one decade, two decades, three decades, you would make, you'd probably think, is this really something that's actually going to change? There's going to be really going to be change here. And so Jesus comes in, and what does he do? He begins to stir things up. He's, things to sh- he's, th- sh- he's shaking things up. In other words, Jesus is asking, how bad do you really want it? Where, stirring up, wait, how, do you, man, awakening a sense of hope that may have grown weary in the waiting. Because it, here's this, you know, sometimes it takes things getting stirred up in our lives, in our hearts, before we start receiving healing. Sometimes it takes a stirring up, something, getting shaken up, 
that with things in our lives to where we begin to realize, man, what is our purpose? What is my purpose? So I can, I, can, I can sit in there and preach in that, but we'll, we'll, we'll go forward. Verse 7, the man replies, Sir, I have no one to help me into the pool when the water is stirred. While I'm trying to get in, someone else goes down ahead of me. The funny thing is, he doesn't even reply to Jesus' question with a yes. <laughs> he gives a, it seems like to be an, an, an excuse. Verse 8, then Jesus apparently hears enough, and he says, Man, get up, pick up your mat, and walk. And at once the man was cured, he picked up his mat, and he walked. Wow. Could you imagine? Put yourself in this situation, this man, 38 years, he's been stuck, he's been paralyzed. No real hope in sight. His limbs were, for decades, had been in atrophy, rendered paralyzed, literally wasting away in his spot. How many of y'all felt like you've been wasting away in, in, in some spots of your life, some seasons of, of your life? I've got some college students on the head like, yeah, I want the, I want the exams to end now. I want to, but I've got, listen, here, sometimes we get just caught up in our, just, just our situation, and, and here the very real healing takes place of a man who's been stuck for 38 years. His legs are strengthened, and he picks up his mat to walk. Here's the thing. It doesn't matter who you are or how long you've been stuck. The God I serve, Jesus Christ, when his mercy comes along, he can lift you out. He can lift us out. That's the God I serve. One word from Jesus, man, can shift things. I love that. Such authority. That's, that's the Jesus that I serve, that I've come to know and love. No, this wasn't just some ordinary man that John is pointing out. He's saying, no, these miracles are testifying to that he's, there's something different about this Jesus of Nazareth. And that what he's doing is, is not just random miracles, but they're actually a fulfillment of prophecies that have been written years ago that were pointing to this Messiah, this Christ, this Savior of the world that was going to come into the world and, 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 and redeem mankind. Prophecies such as Isaiah 35, 3 through 6, where it says, Strengthen the feeble hands, steady the knees that give way, say to those with fearful hearts, Be strong. Do not fear, your God will come. He will come with vengeance and divine retribution. He will come to save you. Now check out this point. It says, then the eyes of the blind will be opened and the ears of the deaf unstopped. Then will the lame leap like a deer and the mute tongue shout for joy. Praise God. Man, this is what John was saying. He's saying there's someone coming after me. John the, John the Baptist, there's someone who's coming after me. Man, that who's... Uh, his sandals are un, I'm unworthy to even untie because when he's coming, he's coming to baptize with the Holy Spirit. He's coming with authority because he is the Christ that was written about. And so we see throughout these, these, uh, John's gospel, these miracle healings, and there were people being healed from being deaf, blind. And here this man who was physically paralyzed is now leaping for joy. This was exciting. This had to be celebrated, right? This is something to be rejoicing about. Surely all the religious leaders would have been excited too. What you laughing about? No, no, because you know, some of you may know, some of you don't know, they, they weren't. <laughs> they weren't really happy about 
this. And you're like, well, why? Okay, well, let's, let's go forward. And verse 9 says, the day in which this took place was a Sabbath, underlying Sabbath. And so the Jewish leaders said to the man who had been healed, it is the Sabbath, the law, and that's how they talk. It is the Sabbath, the law forbids you to carry your mat. But he replied, the man who made me well said to me, pick up your mat and walk. So they asked him, who is this fellow who told you to pick up your mat and walk? And the man who was healed said, I, I don't know an idea because Jesus did one of those ninja things. He kind of like disappeared in the back of the crowd when the healing took place. He used to do that a lot because he, because he's Jesus. He, he, just, he just does things pretty cool, kind of incognito sometimes. I love it, but but here, but here, here he was, and 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 here's the point number two, which we're going to focus on. It's this: there's a danger in knowing the letter of the law, but missing the point or the spirit behind it. There's a danger in knowing the letter of the law, but missing the point behind it. Now, now isn't this something that's got this dude who has been physically disabled, stuck for over three decades in this situation. Now he's walking on his two legs, and all these leaders are concerned about is, hey, dude, you're carrying your mat. That's against the law. What? We'll get to the kind of history about that whole mat thing in a second, but you don't have to be a a graduate from Anderson University or a seminary to understand that there's something missing here, right? There's a disconnect. There's, 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 it's like almost, hey, like, you, you missed it. I think the Bible app is playing on his phone. Um, that's what, <laughs> but, but he's saying, hey, you missed it. And so what, what's happening, there's that, there's that disconnect. And, and, and we have to understand, though, where these leaders are coming from, what, what they believed, what was, what was some of the, the philosophy, the ideology that they had, and, 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 and also, what's the law? What is the law? And where does Jesus fit into it? So you have these Jewish leaders, just a real quick backdrop to kind of follow with me. You have these Jewish leaders that were um, made up by a handful of, of religious and political groups, but in this specific scenario, it was made up of, of the Pharisees and the teachers of law. Now, there's a little variance of, of who these people are, but it, it, essentially these people um, interpreted the Mosaic law. They advocated for, um, for obedience to the most minute portions of the law and especially emphasized the oral traditions handed down, from over, handed down to them over the years. So now, so having respect for the law and a commitment for the law of God's law, Jesus agreed with. Some people, well, I, I live on the grace. We get the law, right? You, you hear that sometimes. I'm on the grace. Well, here Jesus says, Matthew chapter five, verse seventeen. Do not think I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have come to fulfill them. So, what are you saying, Pastor Matt? That, that all the Old Testament laws are now being enforced here? No, no, no. They, let me let me just kind of clarify. And, and, and let me be like my daughter, who's asking why. Why? Because I think that understanding the purpose and because knowing the intent behind these rules and laws is essential to understanding who God is and what we are doing here. So real quick summary, ceremonial, the ceremonial law 
specifically related to Israel's worship. An example of this is found in Leviticus chapter 1, where you'll read about um, people bringing in their offerings, their burnt offerings, you know, sheep from their flock and all that stuff. And it, some, we read it and like, well, this is weird, right? Um, and, 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 but, uh, and we're, they give kind of details about it, but the purpose of these offerings were to make payments for sins in general. And it was ultimately pointed to Jesus and the fact that Jesus' death and his resurrection became the perfect sacrifice, the perfect offering. And so we are no longer bound by these ceremonial laws. And you can read those later in Leviticus 1. And, and, and how many of y'all are thankful we don't have to bring in herds of like sheep and have blood and all that stuff? Just weird, right? Kind of. Anyways, but, but here's the principles behind it. Here's the principles behind it. To worship and love a holy God. And those principles still apply to us today. Next, we have the civil law, which applied to the daily living in Israel. Examples are found in Deuteronomy chapter 24. And since society and culture are so radically different from this time and setting that these laws were um, being followed specifically, we can't, we, we can't follow them. Um, but the principles behind the commands are still timeless and should guide our conduct. And lastly, we have the moral law. And this is important. All of it's important. <laughs> this, is, this is where the Ten Commandments come in, uh, are found. And in Exodus 20 is where the direct commandment of God is, is required in strict obedience. It's where we find the command to obey the Sabbath, which the healing of this man took place. And this moral law still applies to us today. What was its purpose, though? Good question. The purpose was to reveal the nature and the will of a benevolent and loving God. Let me re- repeat that. It, the, it was to reveal the nature and will of a benevolent and loving God. So if both Jesus and the Pharisees and teachers of the law both agree that these moral commands are still to be obeyed, what was the problem with this dude carrying his mat, who's been healed, and then carrying his mat and walking around? Another great question. You guys are on point. Thank you so much. Uh, but here, here's kind of how I'd explain it. So you have these laws that are coming into place. And you know what? These laws are represented... By these letters, right? How many of you guys like like English and all of that stuff? How many of you guys, who's like an English major? I'll pray for you. Okay, um, um, but but you have these these laws that these Pharisees and teachers they grew up with. They knew they were accustomed to. They grown up with it. They went to man. They went to Christian school back going. I'm not just kind of adding on to it, but they they knew the they knew the law front and back. They knew it front and back. They knew exactly what the law was saying. And, but here's what happened. Over the years, there began to be these traditions and these laws and these rules that were then added on to what God had commanded them to do. And that's represented with these sticky notes. So they just started to what? They just started to add one rule. Two rules, three rules, four. So historians say that there's over 200 additional rules and traditions that were added on to the law. 
But let's focus on, on God's, what God said in his word regarding the Sabbath found in Exodus chapter 20, verse 8 through 11. Here's what it says. It says, remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work. But the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall do no work. Neither you nor your son or daughter nor your male or female servant nor your animals, nor your foreigners residing in your towns. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea and all that is in them, but he rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. So what did they do with this law? They added another 39 legal rules to the Sabbath. Guess what one of those laws was? You better not be carrying your mat because that's working. What? They, they begin to, what do they do? They begin to take these laws and they begin to convolute them and, and turn them into something that they weren't really meant from the beginning. They begin to just uh, take these traditions and elevate them to sacred status in their life. And the reality is God is saying, no, look, you're missing the point. You're missing the point. To see the Sabbath, man, the, the intent of the Sabbath so that we would be I'd get some rest. God knows we need some rest. We get hustling and moving and moving and moving and moving. And God says, no, I designed it for a day for you to stop and rest and to worship me and to know me and to find hope. That was, that's a, the intent behind the Sabbath is one of beauty and of, of grace and of, from a loving father. And what did the Pharisees and the teachers of the law do? They turned it into another whole set of rules. They turned into a whole bunch of things that were completely against the intent, the purpose of the law. How many guys know that sometimes we can kind of turn God's laws and his commands into something that they weren't meant to be in the beginning? How many of y'all know that we, we can, we can kind of go about our motions, our way of, of doing things with, with the intent that it's supposed to be honoring God, but the reality is we just added a whole bunch of things to what God has commanded us to do and we missed the point. See, Jesus, I love Jesus. He comes in, he's like, uh-uh, we'll shift things up here. Man, I didn't grow up in church. I was 20 years old. I came to know Christ. And, uh, and so I didn't know all like the, the Christianese and the lingo. I didn't know like the, all the, the traditions and all that. And, and so, um, man, I just come and, you know, came to know the Lord. I thought it was like, hey, this is all about Jesus, right? We're supposed to just be worshiping Jesus, worshiping God, loving God, loving people. That's what it's supposed to be about, right? And I soon realized, man, that wasn't necessarily the main agenda, that, that, in fact, the main agenda became something more about kind of following these man-made structures and how to kind of like make it look good on the outside, but in reality, on the inside, things weren't really what was being professed. And, and then I started really like, dang, what is going on here? How many of y'all have been into to some situations where you're like, man, this doesn't match up with what I've read in Scripture this doesn't match up with what I read in the God's word. Maybe you're here and you were like, you're here today and you're like me. 
when I was 20 years old. You didn't grow up in church. You don't have any of that background. And I'm so glad you're here. My prayer is that you don't get corrupted. (laughs) I pray that you would know Jesus. Jesus, not traditions that don't point to him. And, uh, but I also know that there's a good number of you here this morning who, man, you've, you've come through what I call a lot of church hurt. Man, my prayer is that you'd receive a ton of healing this morning. I talk with Pastor Mark and I hear his horror stories of the things that he's been through. And I'm like, dang, this is crazy. Really? You know? Some of you guys have experienced some very legalistic teaching that was completely void of the heart of God. And I just want to say, I'm so sorry. And I also want to say the reality is, I got to check my own heart as a leader myself. And you, the church, those who know God. Hope Fellowship, man, is a, is a non-denominational church, which means it may look a little different than most traditional churches. But here's the deal. We still have traditions. Don't get it twisted. We still have traditions. We have traditions of having donuts in the morning, right? You, you, that's such a sweet tradition, right? What is that pointing to? You know, we talk about the, the motives. We want to be able to spend time with one another to talk. And sometimes it, it turns into grabbing a whole bunch of donuts and like hurting it to yourself, right? And then, but, but the reality is we have traditions no matter where you are. And the question is, what are they pointing to? Now, certain religious traditions can actually add richness and meaning to life. But we must not assume that because our traditions have been practiced years after year and celebrated by the masses that they should be elevated to some sacred standing, Right? God's principles never change, and his law doesn't need additions. Can I get an amen? So what does Jesus do? Jesus comes in the scene, and he says, you know what? Let's just let's stir things up. Let's shift it up. You know, because you got these, all these rules, and, 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 and they're not really traditions that I gave you, they're not really pointing to, to, to me. Jesus comes in, he heals this guy on the Sabbath. 38 years he's been paralyzed. He's been healed, he's been, he's been delivered. And he comes in the temple and there's religious leaders, uh-uh, you're carrying your mat. You've broken our laws. And Jesus says, no, let me, let me, let me tell you what it's all about. He begins to shift things up. How do you guys know when, when, when Jesus comes to our life, he begins to shift things up? It doesn't always feel good, right? It doesn't always, when, when, you're, when your intentions and when, you're, when your motives begin to be questioned, right? It's not that, it's not that fun, right? It, 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 can be a li- it can be a little bit frustrating. But Jesus says, no, nah, I'm willing to mix things up a little bit because I'm after your heart. And I want, to, I want to get rid of all the junk, all the jargon. I want to get to the point. And here's the point. See, they were worshiping Moses and the law, which yet yeah, focused on the justice of God. But Jesus came to highlight mercy. Mercy, sweet mercy. How many of y'all know we need mercy each and every day? His mercies are brand new each and every day. And we need them. And so he, so he's shifting things up 
when, and he's begin to stir things up with, and, 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 and here's the thing. What do you think the name of Bethesda means? Beth means house. Seda comes from the Hebrew word hesed, which is mercy. So when Jesus comes in and he heals the man on Sabbath in the house of mercy, it's a parable. His whole life becomes a parable and is pointing to the fact that these religious leaders and these people, these Pharisees and these teachers of the law were paralyzed themselves, but they didn't even know it. They were lame to the point. And Jesus said, no, I came to bring mercy to a world who desperately needs it. My question is, how are we as the house of God, the church, demonstrating this mercy to those around us? Are we just creating more standards and more things for people to jump through to be able to receive that mercy? Or are we a people of God that is demonstrating the mercy and grace of God to a world who desperately needs it? To, to us who desperately need Maybe we have not received that mercy. We get so caught up with criticizing and being criti- critical of other people and what they do and what they don't do and, and, and this aspect. And, and, and yes, we have the word of God and we, 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 we don't mistake the truth, but the reality is Jesus came so that he could highlight the mercy of God in our lives. Blessed are the merciful for they'll be shown Mercy. Hosea 6.6 6 says this, For I desire mercy, not sacrifice, and acknowledgement of God rather than burnt offerings. The New Living Translation, I love it, says this, I want you to show love, not offer sacrifices. I want you to know me more than I want burnt offerings. And that's what he's saying to us today. What, are, what kind of sacrifices are, are you making to earn God's love that you need to lay down and receive his mercy to truly know him? Could it be possible that the very things that we profess to do in the name of God can actually can become a barrier from us truly knowing him? Verse 14, later, Jesus found, him, found this, this man at the temple and said to him, See, you are well again. Stop sinning or something worse may happen to you. The man went away and told the Jewish leaders that it was Jesus who had made him well. And just real quickly, just want to talk about that. Some people have taken this portion of scripture and created a large portion of doctrine and dogma of saying that um, if anyone has any sort of sickness or, or disease, it's because they have sin in their life. Can I just tell you, that's a lie. That's not true. That's, that's not true. And, and now, but here's the thing, in this passage, Jesus is pointing out, he knows this guy's heart, he knows that there was sin that attributed to why, where he was. So you don't throw the baby out of the bathwater, but, but you don't also create large doctrine and dogma and focus on that and, and hurt people either. Moving on, verse 16, so because Jesus was doing these things on the Sabbath, the Jewish leaders began to persecute him. In his defense, Jesus said to them, my father is always at his work to this very day, and I too am working. For this reason, they tried all the more to kill him. Not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was even calling his own father, making himself equal with God. He's calling God his own father. Last point, our motives may not be as pure as we think they are. And his claims will expose the intents of our heart. So what's happening 
these leaders are getting called out. Jesus was unmistakably claiming a unique relationship with God that was challenging everything that these Pharisees and these teachers of law were clinging to or holding on to that they grew up with. The point was that a, a powerful miracle healing took place and some, someone who had been paralyzed in hopelessness was now set free. And, and, and more importantly, these miracles are testifying to the fact that he is who he says he is, but they were focused on the rules these man-made things that were not even of God's desire. See, it's never fun to get our motives exposed, right? It's not, it's not fun. But it's needed. Because what happens is Jesus is saying to these Pharisees and, and, and to you and I that we have, to, we have to look at our own lives. Before we point the finger at the Pharisees, we've got to look at our own lives. What are, what are things that we are clinging to what are things that we are holding on to? Are we being dismissive of the areas that God is pointing out in our lives? Are we uh, kind of arguing, argumentative about these things? Or are we taking a step back to say, is this, is this really pointing me to Jesus? Proverbs 21.2 says, People may be right in their own eyes, but the Lord examines the heart. As Ben comes up and just kind of wrap things up, Here's the next steps. What does God want me to know? I think it just comes back to it. Knowing the why, the purpose behind the rules matters, and that should always lead to knowing his heart. Right? That's whether we're in the job, whether, you know, we're with, you know, the job, when, you know, are you trying to, trying to get the approval of your boss just so that you can, you know, uh, uh, get the promotion? Or are you truly working as unto the Lord? What's your intent? Is your intent to climb the corporate ladder? Or is, is your intent to build the kingdom of God right where you are? And our relationships, husbands, is your intent to do all those dishes and all things just so that, you know, Later on, hey, you know, it's actually not a bad thing, but here's the thing. What's the purpose between our, our motives of what we're doing? It's just something we can kind of get, or is it truly to know our spouse or our friends or our family? Man, I have to check my own heart. Most importantly, how, what's our motives with a relationship with God? Is it just so that we can check off the boxes, that we can look a certain way to everybody else, that we got it all together? Or is it truly to know this Jesus who's being proclaimed here and through his word, who has come to show mercy to a world that's broken, hurting, and desperately needs to know him? What does he want me to do? And we have to be willing to, to allow God to check our motives, right? We have to be humble enough to change if we sense that our, uh, intent, our intent is not aligned with who his heart is, what his heart is, and his desire for me. Psalm 139 verse 23 says, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my concerns. I've been just praying and, and talking with a friend of mine just about this and the, just the reality of 
how serious this situation is, I realized, man, Jesus said in the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 7, he says, man, when, when the end comes, they come before God and say, Lord, Lord, didn't I, didn't I, didn't I do this healing? Didn't I do this? Didn't I do this for you? Didn't I do this? And what's his reply? His reply is, depart from me. I never knew you. It makes me want to weep right now. How terrifying that would be. How terrifying would it be to go all of your life doing all the, the, checking off all the boxes, doing all the right things. And then you come to the end of your life and you missed it. You missed Jesus. You missed God. It's the most terrifying thing I could ever imagine. My time is almost up here, but I, I, I have to, all right, it probably is already up, but here's the thing. Ultimately, our traditions should help us understand God's laws better, not become laws themselves. God's heart is not to examine every one of our thoughts and our actions, just waiting to, so that, you know, for us to mess up so we can pounce on us and give the judgment and condemnation. No, his heart and his motive from the very start was to reconcile a broken world who has gone astray back to his creator to receive the grace and mercy that can only come from him. Let's pray. Lord, forgive, forgive me, forgive us, Lord, for um, turning things that um, you have, you've called us to do, your commands, to turning them into uh, things that were never meant to be what they became. God, forgive us of seeking the approval of, of people rather than seeking your heart. God, I pray for those here in this room, Lord, that have been absolutely paralyzed from church hurt. Lord, I pray that you would meet them right where they are. God, I pray that those, those feelings of of apprehension and fear of what it would look like to really open up their heart to you, which would those walls would come down the name of Jesus and that they truly see you for who you are and not, not the, all the junk behind the, the church lingo and the Christianese and, the, and all the, the, the man-made structure, but truly see you, Jesus, to find life in you. God, may we truly find life in you and not any cheap substitute. Lord, I thank you that you came with full of grace and truth, that you came to highlight the mercy of our Heavenly Father. And I just thank you for loving us even yet still and walking us through. Lord, may we not walk by the rules but be lame to the point. May we know your heart in everything that we do. In Jesus' name, amen.